Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today, we continue to sort out the problem that is all's well that ends well. Make sure to check us out at our network home, ghostlightmedia.net, our website, shakespearepod.com, and our merch store, which can be found from either location. And now, on with the show. I'm not close enough. There we go. There we go. Better, closer, warmer. It needs to be intimate. It does. We'll have to start doing our talking in our ASMR voices. And making weird... See, when you talk in your ASMR voice, your mic technique is perfect. Oh, so is, maybe is, just maybe so, is that why well, no, that I, voice? I wasn't actually. No, that's we'll that's our, that's why they do that, that voice, voice. I think. Um, but then they also make weird like mouth noises and things. Yeah, like and that. marking those to edit out. <laughs> <laughs> cool. They're unsettling, and I don't like them. Chase. Cassie has not liked a lot of things tonight. Very, very true. <laughs> Cassie, Cassie's been very disappointed with this evening. This it, evening of recording of Shakespeare. Wow, you just like... Wow, straight into it. Just right no, in. Straight no into it. Fuck your cold so, open. So this is the Shakespeare podcast. Um, I'm feeling very genteel right now. And my name is Beth Roars. I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Cassie Greenley. And I'm your mostly quiet producer, Chase Greenley. So when I am polite and have good microphone etiquette, Cassie is weirded out by the situation, is what I've now decided. That's what she, it looks like. She's, she, she seems very seems uncomfortable and like she doesn't really know what's going on. Cassie, she seems Cassie to be waiting. Seems very uncomfortable. Yeah, right she's now. waiting for the other shoe to drop because she knows that when I am a little bit hyper, it usually means I'm going to act out in some way. Um, which is not good because I'm 37 and should have probably stopped acting out at some point. Maybe. But really, you're only as old as you feel. And there are days that Ooh, I feel 70. I'm pretty sure I'm 67 then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when you would wake up in the morning and your back didn't hurt? I usually wake up in the morning and my back doesn't hurt. But round about, oh, I don't know, like right now my back is in agony. I, I also remember... When, uh, before I would stand all day for a job, when I would wake up in the morning and put my feet on the floor to walk to the bathroom, I didn't have to, like, do some sort of hobble step as my plantar fasciitis needed to be stretched out. <laughs> Are we going to talk about tonight's lineup of bands that we have? We have store? several. We have several. Cassie doesn't like them, but that's okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Goiter oh. Jelly is opening for Anal Fistula. Yeah. And Ooh. they are both, uh, the headliner is, of course, weaponized virginity. It's true. Uh, there is a $15 cover. If you'd like to come down and see them, they will be playing uh, as well with the bisexuality angle. Yes, the bisexuality angle uh, is a great, great band. Right, um, right. They do a lot of spoken word. Um, they really get into that. There, it's a lot of interstitial spoken word, like Ooh. everybody's least favorite parts of all of the Trans Siberian Orchestra albums. It's true. It's true. They, I think they were going for something closer to soul coughing, but ended up with something a little bit like uh, bad death comedy. Mm. So, here we go. Let's get into this. We Cassie, have several pins. Where did to you want to start? Take a look today? at tonight. 
<laughs> you broke her. You broke she, Cassie. She can't. If I am acting polite, she can't even handle it. Hmm. Note to Beth: the the more appropriate I am, the more Cassie can't speak. She's trying. <laughs> she's trying. She's trying not to laugh right now. Now you've got to pick up the uh, the crazy train. It's all you. So we're I'm talk. not getting on the crazy. Train. Get on the crazy train. Get, get. <laughs> There's I the acting out. There it, it was coming. There it, it is. So are we talking about? It wasn't are we talking about? It's never very long. It's because it's not fun for very long. So what are we talking about on the Shakespeare podcast? We're talking about all's well that ends well, aka that guy, Jesus. This play? No, Jesus is um, not in this play. Jesus has nothing to do with this. He washed his hands clean. Jesus, take the wheel. Um, it's, it's um. This play. It's a, fair, it's a fairly nasty play. A ra- rather, 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 rather nasty play, as uh, Pelican puts it. Was it Pelican or Penguin? It was Pelican. Okay. One of those seabirds. The Pelican Shakespeare calls this a rather nasty play. Norton hasn't weighed in on it because uh, I put it in the Nortons. I can get Norton to weigh on it, and I just have to go get my tell. Oh god, room. that's so far. Ugh. Oh, I said I'd do it. You don't it's have to three, do it. Ugh, it's three worms away. I'm tired just thinking about you walking. Three worms away? Is that what you worms? said? Worms? How did? Yeah, could have swore she said it's three worms away. How do you measure distance? <laughs> no, really. How do you measure distance? I apparently don't know. I think it's in worms. <laughs> you, worms you is not said, that long. You definitely said worms. Depends on what kind of worm. If it's a sandworm. It soups long. Yeah, sandworms. Those are quite long. They are. Mm-hmm. From Beetlejuice. No, I wasn't thinking of Beetlejuice. You were thinking of Dune. I was. Yeah, but... It... Beetlejuice. Yeah, don't... You can't knock Dune. It's I can. amazing. I can. It's... The film version has Sting in a Speedo. I can knock that all day. Well, I also wasn't thinking of the film version. Read the book. I haven't. It's one of the ones that I haven't, but that's largely because it disappoints you. All right, we have we <laughs> have a so wide, many things that disappoint me about you. So we have a wide variety of pins for this one. We've actually got eleven, so we're counting s- our perma. Pins. Yeah, we have the perma pins, and we have a hot mess full of pins we down here do. on the table. All right, so let's start with let's, let's start with the gen. What? Where do you want to start? I want to save this one for last because it'll be a fun note to leave us off on. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Okay, the that's a good one. Okay, so. Let's start. Let's talk about this one to start with the measure for measure comparison because I, I feel that'll like that's, lead in that'll lead into it'll lead several into a, to a lot. So with measure for measure, you have a bedroom trick is what they kindly put it as. Yeah, um, but it is a non-consensual sex switch. I mean, that's really what it is. You're yeah. switching sexual partners out on somebody in hopes of getting what you want from it. And we've seen it a couple of times. The these two for measurement for measure. <laughs> like So the bed trap is never good. It's never good. It's it's incredibly problematic. Like this play. <laughs> so what other like I feel like there's more comparisons than that. If you're talking bed trick specifically, yes. Cause there's there's measure for measure, which is the obvious one. Um, but there are 
definitely other ones as well. And even I would say in Othello, the window scene. Yeah. Is a bed trick of sorts. It's in not. Othello? Yeah. Not quite the scene. In Othello, where uh, the maid is yes, in the when window. She's in the win- well, no, that's. We're not. Uh, that's much that's, ado. That's much ado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The maid, the maid in the window, that's much ado. I'm sorry. Because in John. Othello, nothing happens. I thought you were referencing the handkerchief Just scene. Just the handkerchief. It's much ado. Know what I'm talking about. There it is. I know what you're talking there about. There it is. I was um, really hoping that I could prove to Chase that it doesn't happen every single oh, time. Oh, it happens every time. Every time. I am consistent. Yeah, I have... <coughs> I have started bro- doing it now. Yeah. But no, the, the window... It's very irritating. But the window oh, scene is... Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's much ado. Yeah. And and yes, I think you're right. Um, That definitely kind of falls into... Because it's, 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 it's not a switch. Like, Margaret knows who she's having sex with. But he's, but calling he's her, using but... he's using sex, pretending she's another person in order to get something he wants. Right, in order to manipulate a situation. Well, yeah. and she knows that he's doing it. It's that one's real weird. Yeah, she doesn't know to the extent. She, no, but she doesn't she know that people are she, role playing. But she is she is into being like, yeah, call me that. Right, but again, that's that's just role playing. So I don't blame her for it, but it is, well, it is, it a, is a, still weird to you know role play as the person that you were like friends with. I can't speak to it. I've never done it, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna kink shame her. I okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never role played as one of my friends, so no, I don't know. I mean, other than, like, I've gone to Halloween parties where I just had, wore a shirt that said Joel Payne on it. <laughs> That's different, though. <laughs> That's different. You were not still Joel Payne when you took the shirt off, and that's the, I think that's the point he's trying to make. <laughs> Moving on. She wrote Joel Payne on her bra, too. <laughs> Chris had to deal with that. First of all, bras are like 40 bucks, so I don't write shit on them. <laughs> she stapled it to it. I'm not even putting a hole in it. It was tape. I just wrote it in black electric tape. <laughs> anyway, Chris measure for measure is the obvious comparison for more than just the bed trick, I think. Well, yeah, for you've more still than got, just the bed You've trick. got the, the character who wants to marry another character, and that character doesn't want any part of it. And yet, there's still that pressure well, and in we, the situation. You've also got a king. Yeah, who's, who's, who's dictating manipul- everything. Yeah, who's moving pawn pieces around and yeah they're they're his, very they're very will. similar aspects between the two plays between all's well and measure for measure um except that i like everybody in this play better than i liked the they're play both measure bad measure. um yeah. that's a definite okay. similarity the duke, the duke in in measure for measure is the worst like this king is actually like once we he's, get to, he's a perfectly decent fellow i think we can talk bertram out Especially if we look at that bisexual angle and we take a yeah. look at how the gender swap, if we swap the genders, how does how it would change? How about it? Yeah. Well, and but Bertram, my first the, reading, the biggest Bertram's pro- the, terrible The person. biggest problem with Bertram is not that he doesn't want anything to do with Helena or anything like that. That's it's not the biggest problem. how he handles it. Well, no, not even that. It is the complete 180 flip in one line. Oh yeah, at the end. At the end of the, the end play, is, like ridiculous. One line, all of a sudden, Bertram converts. 
the same thing happens in Measure for Measure. At the very end, there's one line given by the king, and all of a sudden, but it's that the virtu- king. Yeah, that virtuous it's the woman. King. Yep. It's not Isabella. So, Isabella says nothing about it. This this is a line from Bertram. He says, "Oh, I do totally love you now. Now that yep. I know the lengths you're willing to go one, to for one, me." Yeah. One line, all of a sudden, oh, now that I know you're a horrible psycho, I love you. Maybe he's into that. I know a lot of men are. Yeah. We're not here to kink shame. No, but I can shame him for many, many other things. Oh, sure, for plenty of other reasons. He's a terrible wretch of an individual. Well, and that's the thing. Like, for me, the biggest problem with, with... what you're pointing out is is the way Bertram is written as a character. Like that's an inconsistent characterization. Well, and this this and that's this, a problem. this play is really bad on the page. Yes, and there are ways around it staged. Yeah. So, and that's where I think we come to this pin. Actually, both of these. Well, you can you can make you can make Bertram sympathetic without getting into any yeah. other pins. Yeah, my but he my can, he can be yeah. played as. Uh, I'm, you know, his, his reasoning, you can, you can play him in different ways. Uh, his reasoning is, uh, I'm too young. I don't, I'm not ready for marriage. Or even just, know, I don't want to be forced. Or, or I don't want to be forced into anything. And Helena, you're really pressuring me. And, you know, I was raised with this girl. She's like a sister to me. I don't see her. There, that there way. are yeah, ways that Bertram can be played that don't, that not in the text. Yeah. That you have to make a choice. To play Bertram that way, that may, and those things make the play less problematic. Yeah. Um, there are still problems, obviously, the, you know, rape scene and, um, you know, that he just flips, uh, flips a switch at the end of the play and all of a sudden he's down with it. Um, but he, he can be played as less of an asshole if you approach it from, yeah, uh, I mean, if you, if you, and I, I wonder if we had read this before Measure for Measure, if I would have seen him as less of an asshole, if my reading of Bertram is colored by Angelo. Yeah. I mean, Angelo is, I think for me, worse still, because he is, he's grosser, he's slimier, he's like more deliberate in what he does. And I mean, Bertram still is, but I I feel like at least Bertram's like initial, uh, no, uh, is less like deliberate and more just caught off guard, reactionary, gut reaction reaction of like, ooh, no. And he doesn't handle it well at all, any piece or part of that. Bertram's like an 18 year old kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, not necessarily, but I mean, you know, played that feels, way. That's how it his feels. reaction feels that way is like a, oh, girl, you're, you're, you know, like you're my sister kind of, you know, like you, we grew up in the same house or, or you like, you can play it different ways or like, you know, no, I used to, but he's so mean. He is. He's a dick. Yeah. But and so that kind of leads us into, there's another pin here that says Bertram is not surprised to be one. Seriously, though. He's not a prize, and I don't want to win him. He's kind of an awful, awful human being. No, yeah, he's terrible. But we, He's got the, a cool mom, though. That's not nothing. Great yeah, mom. his mom is pretty awesome. She is, like, the only character in this play that's cool. Yeah. But, I like a lot of things about Helena. I, I don't like all of Helena's choices. So there's I a lot don't, of female supporting going on. No, in the no play. and that that is great. But 
I have real problems with Helena forcing herself on Bertram, which yeah. she does. Yeah. No, and that is And then also the bed trick. Huge problem with that, no matter how it goes. If it was a guy doing that, if it, whatever, I had a problem with it in measure for measure. I have a problem with it now. It's a common, it's a common trope even beyond Shakespeare, though. Well, and I, I, I think it, it leads to a lot of... Because um, now that I'm thinking about it, like, Maul Flanders has a bed trick in it. You know, it, it is. Just it like is. Three Musketeers, one of those. Yeah, there, there's a yeah, there's a, a there's a there's a fairly common. It's a fairly common trope, but that does not make it unproblematic. No, oh, by no, by no means. Yeah, I'm not excusing it in any way, but the the fact that Bertram is saying or acting in the way that I think a lot of voiceless damsels would enjoy acting yeah when they are the if you do this you may marry my daughter i mean think of pericles the daughter was there to be not pericles which one was well it? pericles no yeah. pericles i mean there is there that where there's the won. the tournament that he yeah. wins yeah but that's usually how the story goes yeah. is that there is a damsel to be married off and there are men who come in and one of them wins the honor of your hand in marriage and this is taking that story and flipping it, which is really interesting because we don't usually see that. We don't usually see the man as the prize. This actually harkens back to me. And actually, I guess for me, this is a older thing. Um, in Norse mythology, there's a, a Jotun woman who wins the hand. and She's allowed to choose her, her Asgardian husband, uh, you know. But the uh, the caveat is she's only allowed to look at their feet, like they hide behind shields, and she's only allowed to look at them from like. You the, could pick a very clean husband that way, like from the knee down, and she's hoping that she's going to pick Balder, you know, like the handsomest of the gods, and he has very shapely feet. She's assuming, right? And she picks the god who has the nicest looking, cleanest looking feet, and she assumes it's Balder, and that's actually. Nyord, god of the sea, and they're clean and everything, and nice looking because he wades in the oceans all the time. Um, so it's you know like just but the woman choosing her husband based on you know a clean, nice spell. Yeah, I could choose a husband based on feet. Yeah, nasty feet. Yeah, but this but no, is, it, it it's is an a, interesting like a, a, reversal. A husband, a husband choosing thing. It's, it's like this is not the first time I have heard this, but it is way less common, right. Than the other way around. So it's an interesting. Like, the play is not terribly unique. So yeah, having any a lot of it. Well, there's a, there's also an authorship, uh, shared authorship question with this one as well. Uh, Middleton shows up again, rears his ugly head. Um, with this play, that there's a possible shared authorship. Between. I believe that because there's a weird language thing that I noted. Like, all of a sudden, randomly, in the middle of a scene with the Countess, Helena and the Countess both start speaking in, in rhyming verse, which they weren't doing up to that point, and they don't do again. Yep. Um, so there is definitely a shared authorship question here that Shakespeare... Um, this was first folio published uh 1623, but the actual, like, composition of the work, uh, the dates vary from... 1598 or whatever to like 1608 as to when it was actually written um so but there's talk that i mean you know early enough written in his career 
he could have written this with Middleton, like we talked about with. Well, and and um, scene to scene, there are scenes in here that feel undeveloped. Um, there are scenes that I don't want to be developed, but are undeveloped still. Yeah, there are short scenes for no good reason. It's it is a little compiled together, and it seems. I mean, there are characters in here that don't need to be in here at all. Oh yeah, like Pierogi. He's mm. pointless. But uh. But no. we'll get to that. So if we talk about like if we talk about this being another potential shared authorship, what was the other big play that we talked about with that? Um, measure for measure wasn't was it? Was measure for measure? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot between the two plays that is similar. And there's also, yeah. I mean, there's also a, a a writing that this was based or potentially this is, based this is potentially off of based on the another Decameron, story. Yeah. A story from the Decameron. But I feel like Measure for Measure tells this story better in a lot of ways. At least it tells it in a more dynamic, compelling way. Yeah, the play, have... the play is based on a tale, tale nine of day three of Baraccio's The Decameron. Shakespeare may have read an English translation of the tale in William Painter's Palace of Pleasure. What? Tale nine of day three? Good God, how long was it? It's like a Henry then. Well, I uh, I don't know. I've never read the Decameron. Neither have I. <gasps> we should do that next month. No, I'm kidding. It's not. I don't want to read something that's nine days long. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's three days, does that make it a romance? I don't know, was there a wedding at the end? I don't know, is your face dumb? No. Good, okay, moving on. Um, but yeah, I think the question of how would we feel about this play if the genders were swapped is a really interesting one to consider. It's true. I'd still hate because, it. Yeah, it still wouldn't be great. But you were saying earlier that your first impulse in this play is to put all the blame on Bertram and talk about You're how right. awful he is. Right. And I don't think like I don't he think he is awful. awful. Like he is awful. But But it is unfair to Bertram to put all of the blame right. on him. So if it him. is a male figure coming in who gets to pick a female and that female's like, No, I don't want to be near you, I don't be with you. Uh, we'd be like, wow, she's so strong. She's speaking her mind. She's saying what she wants. She ran away. She took agency. Bertram takes agency. He's a dick about it, but he takes agency for his own life when he runs away. I don't want to be with you. I will leave the whole... I'll leave the whole goddamn country. (laughs) I'll go to war. I'll serve in some other way, but I'm not going to be with you. Yeah. And And if he was a female saying that, we would probably be lauding him. Yeah. For those decisions. Right. And oh, no. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that, I mean, that's a bias. And if, mostly be, yeah. mostly because the power dynamic. Yeah. And we can't ignore that there is a hegemonic power dynamic between men and women. And right. when it gets stood on the head, we forgive things. We do. And because I think if um, Helena was a male figure, we would treat her more like we treat Angelo. Like, ugh. Oh get yeah, a lo- this, get a load this, of this horrible person. Yeah, yeah Come this on, ass can't you bag. see she doesn't want you? She's told you several t- several yeah. different times. But I think there are some again, there are some key differences if we're looking if we're comparing making the measure for measure comparison. And we're looking at the situation of Angelo pursuing Isabella with the situation of Helena pursuing Bertram. And you make a good point last podcast. You made a good point about an hour ago that <laughs> Helena, when he says, 
oh god no gross she's and, cootie. Yeah. she's covered in cootie she goes uh fine all right king you're alive let's just call it square i don't want to marry a man who doesn't want to marry me yeah and that's what i'm kind of circling back to is because that point for me is what still helps redeem elements of this story because i feel like helena maybe because she had this encouragement from the con- countess saying no no no, i want you to be part of my family i want you to marry my son go to court absolutely go to court it sounds to me like the mom saying hey no he really does like you i promise right and he, she's not made overtures to him in the past this is she the hasn't. first she's overture. never no she she hasn't done it and, and he might have been soups embarrassed but everybody else is it. like sweet yeah i'll marry you yes like everybody she, else but she she did it in public but there's a big difference though too because she had lived in that household for some time he may have looked at her in a different way um you know yeah. and i feel like famil- you, can, you know familial i like you know i like this idea as well that we kind of came up with which would be a directorial choice of the relationship between postulio and um, oh pierogian yeah yeah do we want to get to do we want to move in transition yeah, yeah. Into that i have pin? one more point to make about okay, this sorry but, uh, no it's okay um, but I feel like you can also play when when she's moving through the crowd and she's talking to the other men who were there and saying, like, would you be willing to marry me? I think you can play it less as like, oh, I'm flirting and I'm like exuding my power and more her kind of testing the waters like, OK, I know that I'm of low birth and I made this deal with the king and these guys. But are these but other are lords? They, are they interested? And so like going up to her and going, would you be willing to marry me? Yes. OK, cool. Thanks. Move on to the next one. And once she's talked to a few guys who are like, you know, you did this great service with the king. You're smart. You're beautiful. She's like, great. Awesome. So now this guy that I grew up with, whose mom totally loves me. So she's like, of course he's going to say yes. Yeah. So she she's, she's looking at it based off the fact like, hey, these other lords would, would you know, they're, they're they willing to look past the class, you know, yeah. distinction. And they're willing to give me the time of day because I am more than, you know, my birthing. And so she thinks maybe she's getting something moving towards that direction with with him. I can see that. That's a yeah. You know, so you can definitely direct point. it that way. And then for when he has his reaction, you can really play out her like I misread this so bad. Oh yeah, she she yeah she misread the room so hard. Not that she misread the other what the other men were saying, but that she misread what it was doing for her with him. Yeah. yeah. And so then once they've been forced into this marriage by the king, I feel like you can really play all of her decisions and motivations are still propelled forward by that. I love him. We're married. I've got to find a way to make the best of this situation. And is there a way where I can, you know, Give him what he's asking for, and give him a family, and make him love me. And so you can. How do I? How do I still make him happy and also get what I want? Yeah, and so you can definitely play it that way. And the bed trick is still horrendous and wrong, and shouldn't be done. But you can play with the motivations behind the actions to make it slightly more palatable well there's there's no way that this this place stops being problematic. Right, there's no way we can't. Without oh, it's just cutting, a parent trap like, out of this. Yeah. No, it's not cute. It's not childish, but it is a trope. And so we have yeah. to let something have a trope of its time. And I think it, the interest that this play holds for me 
is the fact that this typical trope and power dynamic has been swamped in terms of the gender. That's what is, that is the one sole thing that is interesting about this play. And the Countess is awesome. And the Countess is awesome. I like the, so one of the directorial choices that we had talked about was the, looking at the reasoning for Bertram, maybe yeah. a little bit, that well, he's, maybe he's in a relationship with this two. And I found what I was, referencing before this is from act two scene three um and it's after the marriage has been forced on bertram and he comes in and progy is there and uh he's ranting and venting bertram is about this horrible thing that's happened to him and progy doesn't know anything about it at this point and bertram says you know undone and forfeited to cares forever and he parole whatever his name is says what's the matter sweetheart and I read that line, and I went, uh, "Wait a minute, sweetheart!" You, you stopped. A, you stopped and went, "What did I miss?" That right? is that is a new dynamic that has not been present before, and I don't know if it meant something different when Shakespeare was writing. I would have to do some research into that. But like today, yeah, the word "sweetheart" has a very specific connotation, right? Oh, for sure. And it is not something that two straight men. It is not a term that two straight men usually throw around between them. No, no, we have other things that we call each other, and sweetheart is not one of them. And so Bertram says... Bro, usually, you know. Bertram says, although before the solemn priest Brother. I have sworn I will not bed her, and again, parole says, what, what, sweetheart? And Bertram says, oh, my parole, they have married me. And that sounds like... Oh, yeah. That, that, it very definitely sounds like they're in a relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And no, nobody in a relationship is going to want to all of a sudden be married to someone else, even if you're fine with the person. Yeah. Well, and, and especially if your your relationship is not a public thing or, or whatever, and, and clearly in this case, if Bertram is in a relationship with Pierogi, it's not public. Nobody else knows about it. Now, being in a relationship with Pierogi is also a poor choice, but... <laughs> well, yeah, Pierogi yes. sucks. You and know, the, and that yeah. just leads to everybody in this play picks terrible partners. Yeah. But if there is a fluid sexuality going on here for Bertram, the rest of the play makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and the scene ends with Pearl saying, a young man married is a man that's marred. Therefore, away and leave her bravely. Go. The king has done you wrong, but hushed his so. So he's the one who says to Bertram, hey, just flee. Just run just away. Just run away. Just, just go. Run away. Just run away. I'll come with you. And it, like to me, that's what this sounds like. And I think that would be a really interesting angle to pursue. Well, to play, to play the two of them as lovers instead of... And that also can lead into um, Bertram later dealing with Pearl's infidelity when it comes to, uh, it, you know, giving up everything and and throwing right and also Bertram under the bus. The, the guards when they've the guards the soldiers I don't know the other Frenchmen when they take Progi one of the things they say is that they are going to test his fidelity. So, depending on how you want to play it, it makes the characters a lot more in-depth. It mm -hmm. makes Bertram make a lot more sense. 
it plays to the time. Yeah. It both timely then and timely now. Yeah. So I would say that would be a very strong directorial choice to decide to make. Yeah. And so I think that there are really interesting things you can do with this play, but I don't think it's interesting by itself. No. No, you got to. Well, with most Shakespeare, I think you gotta. Yeah, well, you gotta it, mess well, with it's, it's a question of whether whether this was written as subtext or text. Yeah, I think Cassie's just pointed out here; it's pretty texty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, if this if this was intended in the text, now I mean, um, you know, it's not that this play was very well received even during Shakespeare's time, um. Is this was not one of his super popular plays? So surprised. Um, but, you know, no. I, obviously, I don't live four hundred years ago. I don't know the reason we need the Shakespeare time machine. Oh, gosh, I hope we invent that someday. Me too. I'm gonna. I'm actually really curious now, so I'm gonna go to the other room and get my Norton. Okay, because I want to see if Norton has but anything so many to say about worms so away. Many worms away, I know. So many worms away. All right. Away. So while you're gone, I'm gonna go off on my baby John Falstaff. Do it. All right. So I know that John Falstaff's character was written well before this character, correct? Potentially depends. This could have been written before then. Just published later. Yeah. So Pierogi has a lot of the markers of a young John Falstaff, right? So he is acting above his station. Mm-hmm. Um, he is. He's got one line for one person and one line for another person. So he has got. He's spinning lies and spinning tales all over the place. But everybody, he thinks he's got everybody fooled. But everybody knows exactly who he is. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. I don't think that he is nearly bombastic enough to be close to being John Falstaff. The virginity banter that happens at the very beginning is very John Falstaffian. No, and I I can see that, and I can see where you're getting, you know, uh, and I think maybe maybe he's a little bit of a proto-John Falstaff, um, which would lend to this being written before... Falstaff was written yeah, as a, like, test character, because we know that Shakespeare wrote prototype characters. And John Falstaff is clearly a much more interesting character. Oh, for sure. Um, but we, we already know, I mean, we know already that Shakespeare wrote proto-characters and later revised them and made them better. Like, we know that Aaron the Moor is a proto-Iago. We know that... But it's almost... Fun to find those. Oh no! It's find great where to they see are. Those little tidbits of, yeah. of where where this character could have. But you know. all all of John Falstaff's character flaws are also Pierogi's character flaws. No, no, and I agree with that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily like. I guess I, I wouldn't even, say like even I wouldn't if, say baby John Falstaff as much as proto John Falstaff. And obviously, we don't know if this was written first. And they there's this. But it seems like... The glomming on, the way that Progi... Like, I know what we just said about a relationship. But if you look at how he attaches himself to Bertram... Oh, yeah. Like, if you're not looking at it as, like, a a relationship, but if you're looking at it as he's just uh, riding coattails and jumping on the Bertram wagon... and And he does. He follows him everywhere. He follows him to war. He follows him to court. Um, he you, he drops his name 
all the time. Oh, yeah. Bertram did this. Yeah. Bertram did this. Look how great he is. Look at how awesome Bertram is. He's a general now. Look at Bertram. I'm a general's friend. Uh, Now, if you look at them, it's them in a relationship. That's that changes, but but yeah, then he's a but still that John Falstaff and one of my favorite interpretations of John Falstaff is from my own private Idaho, where there is that kind of um, what am I like like mentor mentee homosexual relationship going on between the Falstaff character and the uh, the Hal the Prince Hal character, yeah. Well, which and which could have been. You know, and an an intention as well, right? It could have been. It seems less likely in the There's actual a, there, Shakespeare. There, no, but, but my own a, my own private Idaho is just like an interesting. But there is a lot of homosexual subtext in Shakespeare. Yeah, and some of it is just text. Some of it is just text. It's also a product of the time. True. Um, but, and, you know, and a lot of it would have been, you know, not necessarily open but veiled. What'd you find? Nothing. Norton Norton has has nothing to add to the discussion. Yep. Bye, Norton. That was a long three worms to get that. A whole lot of worms for nothing. A lot of worms for nothing. That's okay though. Okay. But that's all right. No. So I think that we the the you're not necessarily wrong. I think it does. um, I think if you go the young John Falstaff, proto Falstaff angle i think that it hurts the say i thought this was written second so it was almost feeling like what we just missed john falstaff i know the queen wanted more john falstaff mary wives was written for yeah well yeah obviously it was written just literally to bring back falstaff so are we just trying to write him in again make another character as popular by writing it well this this, this was this was potentially written as early as like 1590 would you put it a little before yeah Okay. 1590-something. Proto. Not baby. Proto John Falstaff. And so, like a a test character for him. Like a protoceratops. It has no horn, but it has a frill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just like that. I knew exactly what you were going with. Just like that. I watch a lot of Dinosaur Train. (laughs) Dinosaur Train. Dinosaur Train. Once upon a time. All right. So, we've got um, three pins left on the board plus our permapens. Two of the pins we have left on the board feed really nicely into agency of women, so I want to save that for a second. Let's talk about our. Well, I, let me let me right. get back to before we jump into yeah, no, this. Sure. Um, what I was going to say is, if we go the proto John Falstaff route, it cuts off the bisexual angle route. It it does, but like one is a theory looking at characters across the spectrum, so the. What do we call it? The Shakespeare? The Shakespearean theatrical universe? Yes. So that's looking at characters across the spectrum. The other is a directorial choice. So True. just because there's a link between one character and another, or one character may have influenced the creation of another, doesn't mean I, as a director, have to do dick with it. That's true. That's true. And, and completely valid. Um, I like the idea that the reason that Bertram doesn't want to marry Helena is that for some god awful reason because why seriously why he's in love with pierogi yeah and but then it, the whole it, play becomes about the 
bad choices people make about but it, who they're but it's an interesting, but it changes the theme. It, it changes does, the but it, is, it is a very interesting choice. It is... It is a it very... It almost makes you want to stage it, doesn't it? A little bit. Um, but it is definitely a strong choice. And, you know, if you're looking at it from the lens of, well, these two men are in love with each other. And, well, I think, honestly... It, if, if you look at through the way the play runs out, Bertram is more in love with Pierogi than Pierogi is in love with Bertram because yes. Pierogi drops a dime on Bertram like nobody's business. Well, if and you are a glomer on some, like Bertram can still be in love with Pierogi and Pierogi can still just be riding the coattails. Yeah, it's true. And, but, and then you get that double layer of being in love with someone who doesn't really love you back. Oh, we just made this interesting. We did. And love, then so this is one of my favorite things about this podcast is even when it's a shitty play, even when we come and we're like, oh my God, fuck that guy. By the end of the second episode, we've convinced we ourselves. We have at least one good directorial avenue. We have usually three different ways that we would try to stage it um, and some ideas of where we would go with it. And but, all of us are like, oh, God, yeah, okay, yeah, I'd do it. I would do, I would do this play. But no, but I think not I think to, Troilus and Cressida. To, I would do Troilus and Cressida. I would do Troilus and Cressida too. Um, but that makes it like to me, like I think that's a real. It is. It's an avenue I had not thought of with this play before, and so it's more interesting that way. That it, like to to do that sounds really really interesting. Is you know. The reason that Bertram is so hesitant and play him as hesitant as opposed to, you know, like, outright, like, cause maybe, maybe he even does think that Helena is attractive or, you know, he finds her qualities admirable. But if Pierogi's in the room, is he gonna say but, that? But he, yeah, but he won't do that because the, the man that he has fallen for is there in front of him and he, you and know. you can, yeah, you can definitely get into a really good conversation about bisexuality erasure with the fact that everybody, everybody in this play is constantly saying, why on earth would Bertram not want Helena? Like, the Countess says it, the King says it, like, everybody in the court is saying it all the time, like, yeah. yep. why would you not want that girl? Why can't he see, why is he treating her so awful? Why is he not appreciating the wife he's been given because yeah, he didn't want and bisexual wife. bisexual erasure is a totally real thing it is, it is you know a very legitimate thing and that people the only with. reason that we're leaning bisexual on this is because he has been reported to be de-virginizing yes all it's of because the of the whole diana storyline because he well the, the, there are there, there are parts of the storyline that that imply that he is clearly also it, attracted to women. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. They, you know, that, that, that's not even an implication. That is a, that is, that is text. Yeah. Right. And this is, this is potentially implied from the way certain language is used. I, just, I think there, I personally think the, the bisexual story is more interesting because of the layers of being in love with someone who doesn't love you back, um, uh, dealing with societal, pressures things like that um and because i don't know how to fix the diana problem if you're not like that yeah that yeah but at the same time if none of those if that's all bluster and none of it's true 
and now he's I don't know I don't know what he would be doing. So the, the, I don't know, the, but he yeah. there's there's no yeah. other way I can I can work around that particular and it just that makes the first half of this play at least compelling in some way. Yes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. And, yeah, and there are and, still and lots of problems. Otherwise, there's yes. no lots like, of problems. Why would you stage this for a modern audience? Why now? Yeah, this exactly. Is, this like, is a good what, way now. What are you bringing? to the world by staging this play. No. Like what are you So saying? no, I really like I really like looking into into that different angle there. Yeah. Um I always like when I come here with one thought and then I leave with like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. No, so, that's that's honestly not an angle I had thought about until it came up. So speaking of the greater Shakespeare, the Shakespeare theatrical, theatrical universe. universe. Okay. We've got so, yeah, yet sorry, another yeah, character. Now we can get into that one. We've okay. got yet another character who pretends to be dead. So this is one of my favorite weird things that we've come up with is that the friars all friars are all friars are Mm -hmm. one and they are probably all uh that they're all jacques they're all jacques that jacques left the forest of arden and became a roaming friar who continued to mess it up and mess it up and mess it up and mess it up until he got one right until eventually much to do about nothing happens and he gets one right Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, they won't both die. So. Well, sure. much much to do about nothing. I thought there was another one we liked the way he did it better. We've we need to like yeah we have to go back. Yeah, we'd like, have to go, go we'd have to go back and consolidation. We have to go back and listen. We have to go back and give it give give it a listen. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, so but that'll be a, we've got fifty plus episodes of backlog. Yeah. So mm-hmm. but so we have in this Helena who pretends to be dead. Um, lets people think that she's dead in order to enact this overarching uh, plan. As far as the, I don't remember reading anywhere. It just all of a sudden the countess. Everyone is like, thinks she's dead. I heard she died in a fire. Like no, I, I'm pretty sure it's her. Did at she one point, something? you know, she she does. Um, I'm not remembering exactly and where again, it happens, but there were times that I zoned out and I don't blame you. Lafue came on and I was like. Mm-hmm. Gotta make fucks it. like Gaston. I gotta go back to the Beauty and the Beast. Um, Nobody but, so, right. dumps trucks like so, Gaston. Here is the end of Jacques' travels. He has finally traveled enough, and he has completed his friar quests, and he has been gifted... And he's about to make the leap home? No. <laughs> this isn't a quantum leap. If this is the friar that starts... In R and J, he's back in Italy. No, he starts in As You Like It. No, As You Like It's the first one. Okay. He's shocked. Okay. Now, none of it goes in the order, so it's. You know what? This is the most canon thing I'm going to have to write a book about. We're going to have. We have to. We, make, no, we have to make happen. this play. We have to make this play. We have to figure out like Christopher what Moore. Watch happen. out. We coming for you. <laughs> yeah. We have to figure out what order things are coming in. But in only if I can also okay. write a terrible, in hilarious Act four, book. scene four, Helena says to the widow and Diana, "You must know I am supposed dead." Which I okay, who? Yeah. Well, how? She knows right, about it. Whatever. Yeah. So she well, at least no, knows yeah. about it. But there's no, there's no real like it really like. And that's it that, is not covered. That's so not. On, <laughs> it is. That is so not what like on our train of what we're actually talking about but it just as we were going through it i'm like and she's dead somehow what the hell when did she die who said she was she dead? went to saint jack's All and right. then died she went to saint jack's so she's at saint jack's where where he where jock has traveled 
throughout the Shakespeare theatrical universe and has done all of his weird... Like, like some sort of samurai. Like some sort of ronin samurai. Ronin. And he has finally come to rest in Florence and he has built himself uh, a Saint monastery. Jack's yeah. Monastery. St. Jack's Monastery. Listen. Jax Where? would absolutely saint himself at some point in his life. Oh, oh well, yeah. Jacques, Jacques would totally call himself saint. Uh, he would saint himself, change his name so he could be a priest at his own church. Ex- yes. Yeah. Yes. He would. He yes. would. Pro move. Yep. He would saint himself and he would go, well, yeah, but I'm Saint Jax. And then I can still be Jacques. Yeah. D- that's that Jack guy. I'm Jacques. <laughs> You can change it up every once in a while if you want to. Either way, fake mustache. So, he's learned the art of disguise. But well, clearly, he's and spent years fails, doing this. He just fakes his own death. There we go. And what, he's like, "Oh, I got it in a box. I got a, a, a waterproof box. Waterproof box. Waterproof box. Fucking waterproof box." So we all jumped right on that shit. Back to Pia, please. The the doors of this monastery open to let in all people with problematic and troubling love lives that maybe either need to hide out or need some help finding a way out of their predicament. He'll write and the shitty answer poetry. is always <laughs> the right no pretend she, to be dead. He didn't write the pretend to be dead. And when they are sad, it'll all work out. What if they're not sad? I didn't get that far. <laughs> well, then he writes shitty then he writes shitty poetry. <laughs> Alright. He's not sad you're dead. All right, go pretend to be his mistress. That doesn't seem like a good idea. We haven't tried it yet. We don't know. This is uncharted territory. This is this is fresh ground. Cutting edge. New, new chapter in the book. He's got, we are a, moving. he's got a hidden wall in his office that's just like pictures and string. And, like, <laughs> and evidence. It looks, like, yeah, it looks like a fucking well, conspiracy he, theory. In, as we talk about the Shakespeare theatrical universe, it is Always the friars that we're talking it's about. Always the friars. Sometimes so is he? Is he Charlie Day? Like, because that's yes. now what I have the image of is Jacques is Charlie Day. My problem with that is most of Charlie Day's characters are idiots. Jacques is an idiot. <laughs> He's not. Yes, he is. He tells a woman to pretend to be a statue for sixteen years. That's okay, not very our made-up Jacques is an idiot. Yeah, and then she commits <laughs> to the bit. She does. Who's the idiot? <laughs> Who's there? bringing her? Food. Paulina. Paulina <laughs> takes her food. Paulina feeds her. Because like, nobody they, checks out back. They need like, a legitimately. Marauder. They needed a Marauder's Map. This is how Mad-Eye Moody was actually in every, Marty Crouch Jr. And in, no one noticed. In every Shakespeare play, literally, you can walk out back, just go just go around the fucking house, and no one can find you. <laughs> it's Go up the foothill behind the house, if you, if and you, you can find a whole. You can be in a cave that nobody can find you in. If you, you walk, will find like, Timon of Athens. There is, there's <laughs> a out. if there is a gold. if there's a shed on the back forty. All you have to do is walk out there. You'll never be seen again until you want to magically reappear. So, I gotta say, when we're done with all of these Shakespeare's, I really want us to go out into the world. For like a year, just to be talking to people, and then come back and be like, "So, did anybody get the jokes you were telling? Because I bet half of them were Shakespeare jokes now, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Were they? Yeah. Oh yeah. We've destroyed ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we can't talk about other things like normal humans anymore. Fiduciary Shakespeare. That's about it. That's what I got. Okay. So the, I just loved when I saw Saint that she went to Saint Jacques. I was like, "Oh my God, Cassie, Cassie, it Cassie, all Cassie, fits." Cassie, Cassie, Cassie. 
<laughs> Maybe we're the conspiracy theorists with the the wall and the string. That's part of the play. Can it's on the wall we... already? Oh. Yeah, we already have the all right fucking wall. So I know what we're doing this summer. <laughs> yes, I know what you did last summer. Yeah, you were there for a lot of it. Yeah, it was mostly this. Okay. okay, so um, we touched a little bit on language with the permafin, right. talking just about how it's weird. And yeah, then, there's some weird jumps in yeah. between prose and verse. And blank verse and rhymed verse, and it's, yeah, it's, it's odd. Yeah. And lends itself to the notion that he's not that he did not write himself. all of this play. That clearly he did write this play, but there's also... There's a lot of these comedies that have had a multiple authorship question. Well, and I think a lot and of it is probably he, just because of how much he had to churn out. Well, and he yeah. draws from he draws from some sort of historical source. He finds some guy who knows some shit about that and says, "Hey, start this. I'm working on this. Give me a rough outline." So right? he's a guy who knows something. He's there? he's paying he's paying some asshole like he's Biff, and he's paying Marty McFly to do his hand, homework. And then all Marty is asking is that I've he... I've always assumed that Shakespeare uh, was McFly and that no. uh, Marlowe would have been Biff. No. Hey, McFly! McFly! No, I'm sorry. You're wrong. <laughs> no, he's he's paying Thomas Middleton to do his fucking homework for him. That's a bad, that's a bad choice. Well, clearly, we've I've read seen other Thomas what, Middleton. We've seen what happens. We've got measure for measure and potentially this play. There's a bed yeah. trick. He has people get raped. And not like Titus Andronicus. No, they just sneaky rape. Yeah. What, like, is one better? No. No, they're both bad. They're both bad. They're both terrible. But at least one is like Shakespeare's, like, you know, black metal goth phase. <laughs> black. Ugh. Um, you know, and then there's like he weird some fans that look like smeared mustard on a on a sandwich. Yeah, weird uh, Revenge of the Nerds bed trick rape phase. Um, I need yeah, you to stop but... saying bed trip rape phase. I just need you to. I'm trying to. So I'm trying to look up. It probably things. didn't help that we didn't measure for measure, and this one's so close yeah, together. Yeah. To be fair, I didn't know what this play was about. Also, I don't think anybody does, yeah. which is weird because I feel like for as much of a nadir as this show absolutely is, so, this is one of the shows that like, it's this is one of the titles that stands out. Yeah. Well, that's because the, the title itself is a phrase that gets is a, is a popular phrase. So I know sure. we bring up Timon of Athens a lot because it's hilarious. Yes. Right, yes. But he, Middleton is also, because I was looking to see what other, like what were his actual plays. Because I knew the Revengers tragedy, but I couldn't remember any of the other ones. Um, but he's also credited as helping write Timon of Athens. Cool. Yeah, that's what I got. I mean, so when we're talking about those short travel times, maybe that's just his bad writing. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a, maybe that's a maybe, Milton thing. Just, yeah. I want to write now another play instead with of Shakespeare getting sides from Milton for his shows. And just like, do you do you know Thomas? Do you know, Do you know how, how geography works? Like, it's a really They've far... got seven league boots. It's fine. Do you know how far apart these places like, are? Clearly what this means it's is It's in southern that, England, right? You like, know, we are... Europe? We've been talking about it a lot tonight, especially, but we are rapidly running out of Shakespeare shows. We've got seven more Middleton has probably got to be 
pretty close to the top of what no. we cover next. We got to do some. No. Okay, Ben Johnson, maybe Thomas Decker, maybe. Well, no, but we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna have to talk about Middleton though. Yeah, we, we will. We can talk because, about Middleton, especially because we've got some of these shared authorship plays. We yeah, we have seven months mm-hmm. um, before we branch. Right, we have seven months before we branch out before we have completed um, the complete works, not counting sonnets. Um. And honestly, I don't know that we can devote a ton of episodes to sonnets. We'll probably do some. Yeah. Oh, he wrote a play called The Honest Whore with Thomas Decker. Oh, there that's fun. Oh, Decker and Middleton together? And knocked two out. Oh, right that there. probably sucks. <laughs> hey, Decker wrote The Roaring Girl. I love The Roaring Girl. Yeah, but Decker and Middleton together? That probably sucks. Oh, and The Bloody Banquet with hey, Decker. Hey, oh, guys. God, yeah. That, I bet okay, those fine. are real bad. Fine. Hey, guys, putting it down. I'll read that God, Damn it, Cassie. It's like 12.45 and we still have three oh, pins. Oh, dick. All right, so let's go. Okay, so um, I really want to talk about our Agency of Women pin. All and right. it connects to um, our Weaponizing Virginity pin, which we talked a lot about last episode, but we can touch on it again. It's mentally third then, favorite band. Yes. <laughs> and then um, if you could Frankenstein a Shakespeare rom-com connects into this for me. Because, okay, say what so, you uh, want. The, this, is, this is still our last one. It's I, still I our last one, for sure. One, but yeah. But, agency of women. Yeah, agency of women. I the women in this play have a lot of agency. Especially the countess. Um, Helena does and does not. Yeah. Well, Helena has agency in that she is the only time she doesn't have agency. Let's go there because she exerts her own will and control over her life, even when she's like. My husband has left me. Like nine, I could, nine, she could just stay there, but she doesn't. She leaves ninety percent of the time. The only time she doesn't is when the king, when she's like, "All right, peace. I don't want this anymore." If he doesn't want it, and the king's like, well, "Bitch, you do." And I disagree a little bit. If she was showing agency when he leaves to go to war with France, and it's not agency on her part to go, "Well, I'll leave France so that way he comes home." That's not that's not agency. So I would think the normal course of action would be to either return to your father's house or to stay at your husband's house and wait for him to return. So those are the typical choices. And she is presented with, like, she's got a mother-in-law who wants her there. It is her home anyway. She could just stay and be comfortable and he can go fuck himself. But she says, she makes the choice of, I do love this man and I would rather he was home and comfy than than me. So, yes, she is making her changes based upon a man's opinion or what he may like better. Which, which it, makes it makes it really problematic to consider that her choice. It, no, I, I don't think it does. And here's my reasoning behind it. Because um, I'm not just going to naysay you and then not give you a reason. Oh, I, I mean, appreciate that. I mean, I do it a lot. But I mean, normally. <laughs> in this this instance, I actually have reason behind it. I think that, for me at least, when when we're talking about agency, we're talking about a woman's choice. If a man made a choice based on what someone else is feeling around him, it's not any lacking of his agency. It's not any lacking of her agency if she's looking at, you know, this is what I want. And what I want is for you to be happy, so I will leave, is still her making the choice to leave. She has a choice. 
No one's forcing her to do it one way or the other. No, and I, I get that. That's, that's and so, fair. So that's why I say, like, that, that for me is still a moment of agency. The only moment in which she doesn't decide for herself the next step she's going to take. Well, is when the king says, no, you're going to do this because we already agreed. Right. Now, she doesn't pass a Brechtel test, but... No, yeah, she definitely fails the Brechtel test. But she does make every step she takes, she makes her own choice except yeah. for that one. We don't always agree with her choices. Lots no, of times uh, we think her choices are stupid. Well, no, because... But they're hers. Bertram is still them. a fuckboy Chad. He is. He really is. No matter no matter how much we've talked about the different ways that we can stage Someone's this. Someone's got to love a fuckboy. But I... You don't have to love a fuckboy. The, the specifically with weaponized virginity, the one who I, I think really kind of embodies this idea is Diana. Oh, yeah, yeah. Diana for, for sure. Because so often in these plays, you have the women afraid of either losing their virginity or being seen as having lost their virginity because it's, well, they know the, that the, it, the male The male gaze has decided that their virginity is this tremendous commodity yeah and commodity. That's, yeah. yeah and she commodifies it and that's how like hero gets into all this trouble in much ado about nothing because the accusation is made that her virginity has been sacrificed and she in that instant becomes like nothing so Lovely. and it happens a lot yep sans hymen you are worthless and but diana like uses it against bertram when he's like i can't give you this ring it's priceless and she's like you want something priceless from me yeah you you want this no ding ding without so, your freaking ring yeah you know what it's gonna be an equitable trade you give me something priceless i give you something priceless and it's it's still a horrifying idea that your worth is determined as a woman by whether or not you've had sex that's a horrible idea and shouldn't be part of our society but it is and it feels to me in this play like the women aren't being afraid of it so much as, well, if that's the way it's going to be, I'm at least going to use it they, to my they own le advantage. They lean into it and go, okay, fine. If you're going to make my my vagina worth something, then I'm going to expect the worth. Yeah. And, and Helena give, does... Give me, give me what it's worth then, motherfucker. Yeah. Helena does the same thing to an extent. Not, yeah, not to the same to the level same, that yeah. Diana does. But she's saying... like. One of the biggest slaps in the face that Bertram gives her is that he does not consummate their marriage. He basically tells her, like, this marriage isn't worth enough to me to take that step to make it in the eyes of society or whatever. Well, he wants out of it. You know, binding. And that was a big thing back then where if you didn't consummate the marriage, it could be annulled. That's still a thing. It's Yeah, it's still a thing. Like, if you can prove that the marriage wasn't consummated... You can dissolve a marriage even after you boned. Well, no, but it is yeah. still a thing, you know, an annulment is you know and during this time period it was especially because that was that was the whole um basis with king henry the eighth marrying catherine of, of aragon uh she had been married to his brother first and a lot of people were like well you can't marry her afterwards and the big defense that she had was that her marriage to arthur henry's older brother had never been consummated and therefore it wasn't a binding marriage never, therefore it wasn't real and so, Not like yeah. Henry VIII really gave a whole shit about the rules, oh, which we'll no, talk about <laughs> when we get to that play. Oh, that's next! Damn it! <laughs> I've been waiting for you to realize... We're going back to the Henrys. Um, that's the last one, though. 
You know, if we just it named is. him like Pequod instead or something like that, I think it'd be better. Pequod the What eight? about Hank? <laughs> Meet you halfway. I don't want your halfway. Hank 8. Stuff your halfway <laughs> up your buttholes. Aliens attack. Hank 8. Aliens Hank, attack. Hank 8. Aliens Hank attack. Eight. <laughs> um, anyway. But, so, I feel like Helena uses it to an extent, too. Especially she when does, he throws yeah. it in her face, like, I'll be your husband when you can hand me a child that I fathered with you, which you can't do because we didn't have sex. Because we ain't going then, to fucking pound town. In a horrible display of rape that shouldn't have happened, she turns it around and goes, well, then I'm going to get a Guess baby. What? Guess what? I'm going to get you to put that baby in me. <laughs> Challenge accepted. She says, hold yes. my beer. And she figures it out in a terrible, terrifying, horrible way. But she figures it out. Yeah. And she so she figures out what she's got to do to keep her marriage that she wants and nobody else does. No, the Countess wants it. Well, yeah, her mother-in-law wants The few wants it. Yeah. Um, but I, I like this idea of, of women kind of using what's meant by society to be a mark against them and using well, it to empower themselves. Oh, yeah, for sure. Liz Estrada is another amazing Yes. Oh, example. yeah, Liz Estrada. Liz Estrada is weaponized virginity. Like, well, it's just weaponized, just female, weaponized sexuality. female sexuality, which is great. Oh, yeah, for sure. Men get all uppity when we take power of our own. Yeah. Um, but I think that contributes a lot to the agency of women, and I think the agency of women in this play is really strong. I agree. I agree. Especially, you know, you have the Countess who's making all of her decisions. You have Diana. You have... The Countess Helena. is making decisions not just for herself, but for her son as well. Oh, yeah. Like, Diana's Diana's got agency. Yeah. Or, no, I mean, the Countess has agency for days. Yeah. She has, not only does she have agency... She has more than her own she, agency. She takes Bertram's agency away from him on more than one occasion. Yes. He's making poor choices with it. <laughs> exactly His boyfriend's so. an asshole. His boyfriend's an asshole, and I like his girlfriend. And this then ties into, we, we asked the question of if you could Frankenstein a Shakespeare rom-com, what would you pull from which play? And I don't think today we have time to get into that whole question. But Not the, truly. The sub-question mm-hmm. was, would you take anything from this play? What I would take from this play is the constant support that all of the women have for the other women. Because that is... To me, that is this play's one redeeming quality, is the fact that there's never any cattiness between the women. There's nope. never any fighting between the women. There's never unlike, any... Unlike Measure for Measure. Unlike Measure, yeah. This play, like 100%, these women support each other without question. When Diana and the Widow find out that uh, Helena is Bertram's wife... They're immediately like, that's horrible that he's treating you that way. What can we do to help? When she finds out that her husband has been, you know, trying to seduce Diana, she doesn't go, how dare she you? She doesn't get mad at Diana. She doesn't, she gets mad at Bertram. Yeah, she doesn't, she, when, her, what, which is the, where it should be. She does not exactly. misplace her anger. Yeah. She's mad at the person she should be mad at. When the Countess finds out how Bertram has treated Helena, she immediately goes, I've disowned my son. You are my daughter now. I am done with him. Yeah, fuck this kid. And it's just kid. constant, constant, constant support. Oh, yeah. Unswerving, unwavering support of women for women. And I love that about this play. Let's that is, add that, is great. that yes. to the permapins as a semi-permapin. The If You Could Frankenstein a Shakespeare rom-com. Awesome. I like that one. It is. And I think yeah, I agree with you. There's, I w- there's that too is, much to talk about. That's pretty much what I would take from this. Yeah. 
is the um, way the women interact. Because I really, really dislike it in romantic comedies when all of a sudden you've got two women who are fighting over a shitty dude. Yeah. And Bertram is a shitty dude. Well, and even if they even if they have a reason for rivalry, it's always catty. And And women don't like we don't fight like that. No. If we are fighting like that, it's for another reason. It's Usually, because we work together? Well, no. A, a lot of the times, it's... That has more to do with who takes more bathroom breaks than anything else. That's that's fair. I have witnessed that, yes. That has nothing to do with dudes or male attention. Absolutely. People do fight over the attention of the opposite sex, but it's not necessarily in a... You know, like you see in the... Movies Nobody's throwing where, flowers at each other and ripping each other's hair yeah, out. No where where the the, no. the cat the cat fight rolling into the fountain where they're ripping each other's hair out and what uh you know it's a... most of the time when I see like YouTube videos one girl ripping another girl's hair it's on the soccer field yeah like, oh it's, a lot of times it's in sports it does happen in bars uh, as a ten year veteran of throwing drunk people out of bars. It does happen. That again, that's, and I'm not, it's more about ownership than it is, and dominance than it is about yeah, the dude. And I'm not saying yeah. that it doesn't happen. I'm just saying I appreciate reading a story where it doesn't happen. Oh no, no, oh, absolutely. And it's not super common, but there were all more fights than not were girls fighting each other. And I'm not saying it's because of male attention or whatever. It can be for all sorts of reasons, but women fight a lot. In the animal kingdom, it is a well-known fact that a, you can put a grouping of female animals, doesn't matter what kind they are, together, and they will form a pack or a herd, a little cuddle pile, and they'll all get along. Where if you put a bunch of males of the same species, they will fight for dominance. Women a, also fight for dominance. But it's not the same with humans. Yeah. Women will fight for dominance in a pack. Yeah. But I think that for that question of what would you pull from this play for a Shakespeare rom-com, I think that's the only thing that I would take from this one. Yeah. I don't know if I would necessarily. Possibly the countess. I would take her picking. I also like that the female character got to pick the male as a prize. I thought that was I might. I might take Mm -hmm. the countess in general. Yeah, the countess is a character, like the mom who's like, no, 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 absolutely. But if I like, if I had to pick one, like the yeah, the super supportive mother-in-law. Yeah. Oh, it's way better than the like Catherine de Bourgh style characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah but like the su- the super supportive mother-in-law, I'm I would be willing to you know like let's take that. That's yeah, okay. for well, sure. If we're gonna cherry pick some things, then we'll let's go take with that. that one. Um. No, and this is. I have a better opinion of this play after By, talking about it's it. Still yeah, it's, okay, it's still it's bad. Okay, it's still a bad play. Good, it's, it's still not good, but it's not my least good, favorite. But now I know why they use the word rather. A rather, rather nasty, nasty play. play. Yeah. Instead of just calling it a nasty play. Well, and there are, there, there are a lot of film versions of the play. I didn't even look that part up. Oh, there are. There are several. There was a 2012 film version. Um, there's... Uh, some from the 80s. There's some from the 60s. Um, uh, I believe Jame, uh, Dame Judy Dench has played the Countess. Yeah, I'd watch that. At one point or another. Um, and actually, of the roles in this play, um, that role is often put forth as, as, a, 
you know, a, a mature actress's absolutely, I'd play you know, Fantastic. type of role, and sometimes that is why this play does sometimes gain mm-hmm. traction. Mm-hmm. Is you have someone like Judy Dench wants to come along and play the Countess. I mean, we can slap a production around that, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then you're not selling tickets to All's Well That Ends Well. You're selling tickets to Judy Dench. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah I'd but buy tickets to Judy I Dench. Would, I would buy tickets yeah. to Judy Dench. Tells her your, son he's a shithead. Do you have your Excel file handy? Did you yeah. look up by chance? Always. But, you know, I would buy tickets to Judy Dench. Tells her son he's a shithead. The play. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't believe that there are any Actually, YA I adaptations or literary web that. series. You may have. I, I mean, we we all may have watched all it. Right. Who At knows? the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, All's Well has been performed a total of seven times. So not at the bottom. And is being performed this season. Okay. So not at the bottom. So we're getting eight. Uh, the bottom's five, right? Yeah, bottom's four. Bottom's four. And the top is 16. Yeah. So, I mean... Round the middle, um, for Shakespeare plays at Oregon Shakes. Although, what Beth? I think you put a link somewhere in like the Facebook. Oh yeah, Colorado, the Colorado yeah, Shakespeare Colorado Festival. Sh- Shakespeare They're doing Pericles, and I thought yes. you might need to go. And uh, that has made me want to track down a list of all of the Shakespeare festivals oh, in no. the country. See if we can find and out. Canada and make a master spreadsheet that has definitive evidence of how often Shakespeare Nerd plays alert. are performed. Oh, yes. Absolutely. There's going to be not just an Excel file. It's going to be an Excel workbook. It's going to be a whole workbook. There's going to be multiple tabs. I'm going to get Carlin gonna, to help. It's they're going to correlate into one master tab. At she's gonna, she's my gonna dear, I promise you, if you email the right people at each of these organizations, you will not have to do a drop of work. To I'm get sorry. Can I chase. stop you a second? I know you want to I do want it. I want to do the work. Yeah, but still, email like, the right person <laughs> and at least make your life easier. I. <laughs> uh, because there is that person everywhere. Yeah. I found it. Judy Dench says those exact words. It's not. It's to a nephew, not a son, but she is an importance of being earnest. Oh, okay. She's Lady Bracknell. So that's it. Yes. I forgot about that. So you can yes. watch. You can watch Judy Dench be Lady Bracknell, or you can watch her be Countess de Rosalind or whatever it is. Brazilian. Um, and tell people how shitty her male relations are. And really, that's all I want out of life. Didn't Judy Dench also played Catherine de Berg at one point? Sure, may have. So. Was she in the Ju- in the? I think she's in the 2005 one. She, that I mean, she also about. played M in uh, several James Bond. She was movies. also in Cats. We don't need to go over all of it. <laughs> I was so disappointed at anyone that was in Cats. Agreed. But that I'm most I'm most disappointed time. in Andrew Lloyd Webber because he wrote it. No, yes. I'm so, not disappointed. I knew that he that he had it in him. No, he's <laughs> he sits in his he sits in his fucking castle, and every time somebody buys a goddamn ticket to fucking cats, he just cackles as thunder cracks in the <laughs> night and just goes cats. <laughs> Do you think that somewhere in in hell, T.S. Eliot's just going? That's not what I intended of that. <laughs> there's 
No, there's I, he's I, like Mr. Mephistopheles. <laughs> no, here's the darker truth about Andrew Lloyd Webber. Cats. He, that exact same thing happens, but it's in New York City, unless it's around election time back in the UK, because he does maintain citizenship over there, so he can go back home, vote Tory, and then fly back to the United States. And that's why he's got because Brexit. Webber fucking sucks. Because Andrew Lloyd Webber. Is a piece of shit, I, and I love that. That's what we're ending this. this hey, look, on. this is the Shakespeare podcast. It I is. can talk shit about Andrew Lloyd Webber all I want. And yeah, I, I will happily join you. There I can't is wait till Cats is on HBO. I'm gonna watch the shit out of that for free. There, is, I there are not enough drugs to make me watch Cats. Challenge. I have not. I've Ryan. No. Ryan. Challenge accepted. I quit doing drugs a I, long time ago. Hey, Beth, hey Beth, do you want this whiskey? Okay, I quit doing drugs other than alcohol a long time ago. <laughs> How much whiskey would it take? There's not enough whiskey in the I world. have seen you so drunk that you thought you were an airplane. I didn't think I was an airplane. I was airplane drunk. There's a difference. <laughs> you fell on your face. I have no face. I'm Cassie <laughs> Greenlee. stupid face. I'm Beth Roars. What? Are, why? Why are you saying your names? Was this? Because we're, we're signing done. off. We're done. Yeah, but was this the Shakespeare podcast? Yes. Oh, perhaps we should have said that. Perhaps I wanted to get us, you know, <laughs> on the track towards Cassie gets to go to sleep sometime. Oh, today. so the Shakespeare podcast. Who are you? I already said my name, Ryan. You're a dumbass. All right, it's Shakespeare. I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Chase, and uh, I think Beth and I need to watch Cats for some sort of Patreon <gasps> backer content. Because I, I do have a, a sick we, curiosity. I will video that. Like, we can set up a camera, and people I'm can afraid. watch me dance. Uh, I'm afraid. I know <sighs> all of well, them. How many I, of the words do you think I know? I. It's all of them. <laughs> I'm afraid. Oh, no. What have you gotten yourself have, into, honey? I'm very Whatever afraid. it is that's happening when I'm not in the house. I have... I'm the with VHS. You. I'm with you. We no. Of no. the theatrical release. Oh no 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 no! We're watching the the terrible movie oh, that yeah. came out. Like that's the stipulation I'm oh, making. Yes. We're watching the. Relevant I can't believe cats. that Idris Elba it's, was in that. I'm down. I'm down. For I this. love Idris Elba, but it, what? that's 100 percent Patreon. Why? All right. Well, y'all know what is coming up uh, down the pipe for Patreon content for for this. It has. We have to wait oh, till it's and, free. Uh, <laughs> Chase, and, I'm not I, for Chase shit. and I did the Patreon content for for this February. Month. Yep. For this month, we did some. Did you guys just make out with each other? That's exactly what what we did. It was great audio. Yep. Um. No, we. It did, was our uh, ASMR episode. Is it just really dry kisses? <laughs> no. Um, no, we did uh, Shakespeare couple scenes. We did some readings. We did Shakespeare um, copulations. We did Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Mm-hmm. It's compilations. Compilations? I yeah. thought it was Shakespeare. No, with these two, it's Shakespeare copulation. It's, it's every not. once in a while, just so the listeners know, we walk into the room and Cassie and Chase are kissing. And every once in a while, uh, I think I saw a baby and it winks at me. I want to go to bed. I've never, I've never seen the second part, but sometimes. They All right, podcast is closed. Everybody, moose out front. Shit, <laughs> I told you. Shit, I told you. Say good night. When it catches me off guard, it makes me laugh so hard it gets like the bottom of my belly. <laughs>